Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a two-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session two, Kindly Christians. Oh, that sounds so nice after that first session. A quick review on the benefits of irritation. Doesn't that sound funny? The benefits of irritation. It's God's chosen means of saintly construction. It's the secret avenue through which the soul obtains greater grace and power. And its end, if embraced and handled properly, is always the glory of God. The devil's recipe for destructive irritation and frustration. Remember I said there's two kinds of irritation. There's destructive and constructive. The devil wields this in his repertoire. You know that the devil, we could say he wielded the cross in his repertoire? And he still does. To, what's it meant to do? Crucify, kill, destroy, steal. What does it do when it hits Jesus? When Jesus receives the wounds of the cross, what happens? Victory, life, the glory of God. The same is true in your life. A splinter is not comfortable. And yet when it's received Christ-style, What happens is there's a greater victory and triumph than ever could have been afforded you outside of that cross. Because most of us would prefer a life without the cross. We don't want that splinter. We don't want that difficulty. And as a result, we live tepid, lukewarm, mediocre lives. But when we begin to receive that cross into our life the way Jesus does, it is meant by the devil to destroy us. But it is meant by God to bring about his glory and to make us stronger. So the devil's recipe for destructive irritation and frustration. Part one. So this is like a recipe. We're like putting some stuff together in a big bowl. One part enemy opportunity. The devil is constantly looking for a way to destroy our life. And so to try and remove the issue of irritation from the enemy and to make it sound like he's innocent of you know, any crimes in this, to come against our soul, well, that's ridiculous. No, he's up to no good. He's seeking to devour us. And if he sees a weakness in this behavioral aspect of our life, he will play upon it. He'll play upon it over and over and over again. And he does a lot of whispering in there like, are you going to accept that? That is against the standards that you have chosen to live by. And so as a result, he begins to play the law against our behavior to actually get us cranky under the banner of, you know, being righteous. It's It's a funny thing when people begin to kill Jesus in the name of righteousness. Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, they were the godly. They were the religious leaders. And what did they do? They killed Jesus? Uh, May we not do the same. May we not commit that incredibly, dastardly deed by actually crucifying the work of the Spirit of grace in our generation because we are so right doctrinally. I want you to be right doctrinally. I want you to be right in your organization, your structure of family, of marriage, of your church, and of anything you do in business and in this life. I want you to be right with Scripture. However, if you are wrong in your very nature as you do it, something is out of order. 
So one part enemy opportunity, one part cranky conservatism. Okay, judgment is triumphing over mercy. Now the enemy is feeding that. However, you're agreeing with it. And so when it comes to a change of mind, repentance involves a change of thinking and behavior. In other words, you have been doing this and you realize, wait a minute. So though I'm right, I'm actually wrong in what I'm doing because I'm not exhibiting the nature of Jesus Christ and how I do it. You could be 100% correct with scripture and be 100% wrong with Jesus. How does that work? It's called behavioral heresy. And so cranky conservatism is being right, but wrong. One part, circumstantial weakness. I tell you what, little sleep, no food. You ever notice that when you fast, it can be cranky? Isn't that a funny thing? And you like blame it on God. God, I'm trying to please you. What you're supposed to do in a fast is depend all the more upon his strength, not look to your own pocket and say, I got it for you, God, here, I'll take care of this attitude here. You see, you're weak and you're deliberately saying, my strength comes from above. So it could be tiredness. It could be dietary intake. It could be gluten intolerance. I'm not going to even excuse it. These things can affect your body, which if you are susceptible to part one and part two, you're a goner. And you're going straight down with everyone else in your behavior. One of the things I teach my kids is there's never, because I do, you know, one of our children has a gluten issue. And it's, you know, I always would love to say, there's no issue with gluten. This is so hyped up. And yet one of my kids, whenever he has gluten, I tell you what, big bags under his eyes, things happen. When he's off gluten, his behavior is a lot better. It has nothing to do with spiritual things at all. It's just like, okay. However, I still teach him that there's no excuse. Even if he had gluten the night before, there's no excuse for this behavior in the morning. I recognize that he's at a weakened state, but he still has the grace of God. It's the same with all of us. I don't care what we're going through in life. We have the grace of God to behave properly. Jesus is hanging on a cross and showing forgiveness. None of us have endured the sufferings that Jesus did, and yet he never contradicted the nature of God in what he did. And that's the same with us. I don't care how big the splinter is that's in you and in your soul. You have grace to overcome it and to showcase the life of Jesus. So irritating argument number two. It's the secret avenue through which the soul obtains greater grace and power. A pearl. What is it? So some of you have probably heard this before, that a pearl is formed out of a little granular of sand or maybe a parasite, some infection in the fleshy part of an oyster mantle. And which is an amazing thought, that this irritant comes in, and when the irritant comes in, what's fascinating about an oyster is its goal is not to remove it, it's to embody it or to encircle it with nacre. It's a certain substance that an oyster has. You see, an oyster, when it receives the splinter, when it receives the irritant properly, it actually turns it into a pearl. That's where a pearl comes from. It's different than other costly jewels in the fact that it is formed out of irritation. It is formed out of difficulty. Not out of an attempt to push it out of the shell. I mean, think about our, our plan. Our plan is to get all splinters out. If there's an irritant, hey, out. And yet a pearl is made by the proper receptivity to the difficulties that comes its way. So there's a pearl for you in a little oyster shell. And I, I don't hang around with a lot of pearls, so I can't tell you about it. Supposedly like a fake pearl and a real pearl, oh, they're not even similar. 
You know, so pearl connoisseurs are very uh, aware of how lustrous and beautiful a pearl is. I've never really thought about it that much, but ironically, pearls are all throughout the Bible. When I was first thinking about this, I mean, I knew of the pearl of great price, but then as I began to study it, it's like, yeah, it is all over the place. I have seen that all over the place. God knows about pearls. He made them. Think about this. He's a part of the process. It's not like they are a revelation since the Bible, and God's like, oh, what's that? Oh, yeah, we could use that as an illustration. It's actually in the Word of God, the Bible and pearls. God prizes pearls, utilizing them in his word as a picture of that which holds the most value. Remember, do not feed your pearls to swine. His shed blood, his gospel, and his gift of grace are all likened. So this is the most valuable thing, is likened into a pearl. How is a pearl formed? Uh, Through difficulty? Well, think about Jesus and his shed blood. How did it come about? How did the salvation of our souls come about? Through suffering? Through difficulty, where did the greatest pearl, the pearl of great price, how was it offered to you? Through the greatest suffering. That's not an accident. Don't miss it in your soul. If we can appropriate these difficulties, these challenges, God's way, Christ's way, then out comes the greatest beauty. Nacre, it's the miracle pearl-forming substance. God has made nacre available unto an oyster. It is sitting there waiting to be used when the splinter arrives, when the parasite arrives, when any difficulty arrives. It's a foreign substance. It wasn't designed to be inside of that oyster. It comes from the outside, yes. It's like someone else's problem, someone else's issue is suddenly stuck inside of your shell, right in that fleshy spot where it really hurts. It really is an abrasive substance. It wasn't meant to be there, and yet... There is a substance known as nacre that is given to an oyster just for such circumstances. And when that oyster calls upon that nacre in that moment, guess what? The formation of a pearl begins. So nacre is powerfully ready to go into action when the splinter arrives. Now, remember, we're talking about a spiritual message. We're talking about your soul. We're really not talking about oysters. Pearls matter only to the degree that they reveal Jesus Christ. All creation is such. Any study you will ever do in all of life, the only value it has is how it leads you to the creator of all things. It's to see Jesus Christ. That's the pinnacle point, the paramount point of every study. So if you're going to study pearls, make sure you see Jesus Christ. Make sure you see how God reveals his divine nature in and through it. He instructs us in and through these things. You have something. You have, as strange as this may sound, nacre. It was bequeathed to you in and through the shed blood of Jesus. You have, in your new creation, as a Christian, you have something deposited, something given. It's in your account. But draw on it when you need it. You must know how to draw on the nacre when that splinter arrives. 2 Corinthians. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, Paul is uh, waxing eloquent about something that has to be one of the most challenging uh, parts of the Bible, but there seems to be this guy that saw the third heavens and took a visit there, and most theologians would guess that that was actually Paul. And so unless I, and then suddenly the I pops into the discussion, should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh, okay, does that sound like an oyster terminology or what? A thorn, a splinter in the soft stuff, a splinter in that mantle of the oyster, was given to me, 
a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Who, who, who brought it? That was Satan, all right. And yet, look at how this situation is turned in the midst of this discussion. Listen closely based on what you've been taught so far. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure, concerning this thing, concerning this thorn, this splinter in the soft side of his soul, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I'm going to give you what we could call the nacre version of Paul's words. This is not what it says in Scripture. This is Eric taking the idea of an oyster and how a pearl is formed and sticking it in the text. So this is the nacre edition. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a splinter in my inner oyster mantle was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this splinter, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from my inner oyster mantle. And he said to me, my nacre is sufficient for you. For my nacre strength is powerfully effective in this irritation you are currently facing. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my splinters that the nacre power of Christ may work upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in bits of sand, cuts and splinters of every kind for Christ's sake. For when my inter-oyster mantle is irritated, then I am strong with all nacre power. Yeah, there it is. It's the nacre edition. Don't go out there and start quoting me on the street corner with that one. Irritating argument number three. And its end, if embraced, the end of irritation, if, if it's, and its end, if embraced and handled properly, is always the glory of God. Introducing the pearl farmer. You know, there's actually people out there that farm pearls. That's what they do. So what do you do? Yeah, I'm a pearl farmer. Hey, there's all sorts of weird jobs out there. Have you ever noticed that? But you see, pearls, for most of us, we think, well, they're just formed naturally, and that's, you know, just, just happens at the bottom of the ocean here. But actually... There's a whole kind of farming that actually initiates little splinters. They open it up, and they usually put a little incision. A pearl farmer will put a little incision and stick like a grain of sand in the oyster. And what happens? The nacre begins to work. Now, it's an odd thought to think of God as being a pearl farmer. And yet, actually, he is. You see, the way God works is absolutely brilliant. God does not harm his saints. God is a gentle, loving father. But as a gentle, loving father, just like the mother eagle, he knows that there's certain things that are necessary for the proper development of the muscle and the lubricant on the wings to be able to properly fly as a Christian. The rule of heavenly luster. For a pearl of great price, if you want a pearl of great price, then you need something. There is the necessity of a splinter of great degree. Well, there's the cross. There's salvation, there's the gospel. You want the pearl of great price? You need a great big splinter. It's called the cross. Isn't that a great picture of a splinter? The preciousness of splinters. Most of us don't think of them as precious. However, if there is not a splinter, there is no pearl. All you have is a little oyster. And I don't know if ever, you've ever eaten an raw oyster. Yuck! Now, some people would say it's a delicacy. It sure didn't taste like a delicacy when I ate it. I had this guy come out of the ocean, and he was so happy. He says, oh, have you ever tried a raw oyster, Eric? 
no. Oh, you need to try one. I'm like, no way. And so then all this group around me is like, try it, try it. <laughs> and it was like, got onto my tongue and seemed to have a life of its own. It's like, boom. Yuck. Okay, that's all you have if you don't have a splinter. You see, all you have is this slick, slippery little life. When you add the splinter into it, suddenly there is nac- the nacre can actually begin to work and do what it's meant to do to form that which God intended in that oyster. And so as a result, we have something known as the preciousness, not of, oyster, not of pearls, the preciousness of that which causes the pearl too. Yes, the pearl is his end, but that which causes the pearl must be treated as Christians as equally precious. We cherish the cross, even though it's a symbol of death. Why? Because to us, it's a symbol of life. Isn't that amazing? We look at a cross, which is literally a symbol of execution of a criminal who has broken the law. Everything about it is opposite of everything we stand for. It's judgment. We're not going to cherish that. And yet, everything about that splinter, it's a big splinter, everything about that splinter is a symbol to us of life. There is where we find life. It's out of that suffering that we saw the glory of God, that we were introduced into the intimate quarters of our king, known as the Holy of Holies. That's how we got there. It was that shed blood. The preciousness of splinters. Like grains of sand, these splinters are in abundance in each of our lives. You ever notice, if I were to talk about how many splinter opportunities you have in life, I mean, just try and count them in one day, and I bet you'll lose track. They're everywhere. Just like the grains of sand in the sea, all it takes is one little granular of sand to form an oyster. And yet, you know that most, most oysters do not produce pearls? It's a very, very rare gem. If they were everywhere, they wouldn't be worth anything. It's very rare. In other words, though there be countless sand in this world, all it takes is one grain to get in and, and, the, oyster, and the pearl can be formed. In other words, that grain of sand that actually gets in is rare. And the same is true for us. How many splinters do we not accept? And as a result, pearls are not being formed. Like grains of sand, these splinters are in abundance in each of our lives, but most, if not all of them, are lost and or destroyed in the harvesting process. So an actual splinter kept and preserved for pearl farming purposes is supremely rare and worth much in the kingdom of heaven. Participating with the pearl farmer. Now, if you knew that this pearl farmer had a job, He's like, I'm just going to crack you open just a little here. And then I'm going to take this little in, you know, knife to make an incision. And then I'm just going to stick this little irritant, this splinter, right in there. And we're going to go, no way. That's not the version of Christianity I signed up for. Okay, mine is a closed clam shell or a closed oyster shell, and I'm just always happy. That's my version. Isn't is this my best life now? And yet God says, if you want life, it's on my terms. And this is how you find life. And so he says, this is what I need to do. Now, we could argue the whole while, and as a result, every irritant that comes, we shoo it away, and we complain about it, and actually ends up calcifying us. You see, if an oyster is left open like that, arguing always, you ever notice that it will harden up? It, it, has, it can't protect itself, and as a result, it will die. That, we need to start working with the pearl farmer, laboring to preserve every splinter and not lose the value of even one that comes your way. Most of us have been rejecting the irritant. Let's just admit it. Yes, I've rejected basically all the irritants that have ever come my way and complained about them. 
but it's time we changed our thinking. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also that we may be also glorified together. One of the things you're going to notice in Scripture is this idea of suffering leads to glory, which doesn't sound right. Glory is the full representation, the full revelation of the trueness of God, the beauty of God, the power of God. This world doesn't see it. This world doesn't see who God really is unless a Christian allows a splinter in and suffering in and that what comes out? The glory of God. The world will see who Jesus is when we receive splinters properly. They do not see who Jesus is through cranky conservatives. They see it through kindly Christians. So that we, may be, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, the splinters of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That's a strange thing to get happy about. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And on their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. That splinter is being brought by the enemy to try and destroy you. However, did you ever hear about uh, David's mighty man, Benaiah, uh, who jumped into a pit uh, on a snowy day? Yeah, that guy. There was an Egyptian that came against him with a long spear, a javelin. And it says that Benaiah didn't have a weapon, somehow took the weapon of the Egyptian out of his hand and destroyed him with his own weapon. I just gave you the secret. There's the cross right there. The enemy fashions a weapon. God strips it from the enemy and makes it his weapon right into the belly of the devil. What was the devil's defeat that day? He forged, plotted, conspired, and died. Jesus, silent as a lamb, came and embraced the splinter, and in so doing, turned that very splinter into a weapon against the devil. When we handle the splinters and the challenges and the sufferings of this life, God's style, the enemy goes down. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. On this behalf. So, what's the secret to revealing this glory in our lives? For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, if you look at that, many of you are familiar with that. You can think big S salvation. For by grace you are saved, like from eternal hellfire, from judgment, from the penalty of sin, through faith, through believing on Jesus Christ. That's true. However, salvation is a multi dimensional concept. It's not just big S. It's small, moment by moment, day in, day out, need for the strength, the nature of God to work on our behalf. And so there's your secret. For by the power and work of nature, you are saved through trusting that each and every splinter is working a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Did you derive this nature out of your own pockets? No. He put it there. He's the one that has given you access to this nature. You have it. There is no excuse for any of us to not turn a splinter into a pearl because every single one of us has been given the nature of God at the cross. If you've come to the cross and had that, in, in, that beginning work of grace operative in your soul to turn and come under that throne room of grace, you have access to all of that throne room of nature. 
all the power, all the equipment of heaven that can be leveraged in each and every moment in your life when your little child is doing a little dance at the very moment you're trying to change them. That can suddenly turn into a moment in which a pearl can be formed instead of a cranky conservative father. Naker. Now, I know it doesn't say grace, but I want you to realize in this illustration, naker and grace are the same concept. It is the ointment, it is the work of God to actually take what the enemy means for evil and turn it into a great good. What does that? Grace does that. And in this illustration, nature. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of grace. But the fruit of the Spirit, so the fruit of this nature, the fruit of this indwelling God within us, when we come unto Christ, we, ha- we become the very dwelling place of God. He purchases our very body. And inside of us, he lives this nacre moves in. This, it's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit moving in is very defined in Scripture. And there's nine key evidences. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. There is no resistance, no slap on the back of the hand for calling on this help. Nacre has liberty in your life. It is not an illegal movement of grace. It is fully authorized by heaven itself saying there is no hindrance from heaven when you call upon the love of God, when you call upon the joy of God to come and to assist you in your daily moment-by-moment attitudes. When otherwise you would be a cranky conservative, you can call on all of those nine helpers to truly demonstrate the kindly Christian. The soul's special forces. Now I'm going to take that very scripture in Galatians and I'm going to I'm not changing scripture, don't don't worry. I'm just going to add in a little help to us, okay? So I'm going to introduce you to nine soldiers. So I'm going to liken the fruit of the Spirit to nine soldiers, because when we think of them as just being a fruit, some kind of evidence out there, and then we don't produce the evidence, we don't understand how grace works. You see, these are our helpers. It's God's work on our behalf. We have the nacre, and it comes in nine different packages, if you will. Nine soldiers. So I want to introduce you to him. You know how soldiers are always known by their last name? Lewis. Uh, he, he, this is love, by the way. But Lewis is the captain. He's responsible for overseeing every action, every movement of this league of extraordinary gentlemen. Lou, that's what he's known as, Lou by his comrades, uh, is always smiling, always serving, always cheering on his men. His men love him and would gladly die for him. Whatever he asks, they do it without question, and they do it precisely the way Lewis trained them to do it. Love oversees the operation of the soul. So when love is the captain, then every one of its members, known as your body, your actions, your attitudes, are going to be controlled by Lewis. And so Lewis is the captain. Jonesy. Doesn't that sound like a guy in some military unit? Hey, Jonesy. Jonesy is known as Mr. Laugh. He's the comic in the group. Peters, Mr. Calm. Peters doesn't say much, but works behind the scenes to ensure the team is working together and and sound of mind. Papaduka, I just figured that guy has to be in the the group too. Mr. Tough, nothing can break this guy. Call him names, Pappy won't stir. He's known as Pappy. Pump him full of bullets, Pappy will keep standing. Try and move him from his position, you'll find that it would be easier to move Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh Uh-huh, it's called patience. Kruger, Mr. Missionary, kindness. 
Krugs is the one that handles the hard stuff, the people. He is fearless in the face of the most hateful characters. Krugs has never seen a criminal he doesn't love. Boy, a few of us need to have this guy move in. Gets, Mr. Integrity. Gets makes the right decision even if it costs him his life. It's known as godliness. Fitzberger, Mr. Splinter. Fizz, that's what he's known as. Don't, don't ask me where the names came from. That's just what they do amongst themselves. They come up with these nicknames. Fizz can handle any and every splinter. Where most would crumble under the weight of handling these explosive and dangerous dudes, they're like bombs, Fizz says the bigger the splinter, the greater Naker. He loves Naker. So that's faithfulness, faith. Jans, Mr. Surgeon, gentleness. With all the delicacy of a highly trained brain surgeon, Jansy can take the most inoperable circumstances and somehow bring about health. Smithy, Mr. Muscle. Smithy uh, is going to be self-control. The, guy, the go-to guy for the muscle job. Smithy can swat away demonic enticement like it were a pesky fly and can keep secure the jewels of the soul like a 10-mile-thick wall of diamond. The fruit of the Spirit is. This is another way it could be read. This is a Special Forces edition. The Special Forces of the Christian life are Lewis, Jonesy, Peters, Papaduca, Kruger, Getz, Fitzberger, Jans, and Smithy. And there is no prohibition in you, a Christian, to calling on them and employing their amazing skill. Now, you've been looking to your own ability. And so you're facing these irritants, and you dig in your own pocket and say, well, I don't have a lot to face that. You do have a lot. If you are in Christ, you have this league of extraordinary gentlemen. You have the special forces of God. You have the nature of God to be able to defuse every bomb that comes against you. Everything that the enemy means to destroy you. Literally, you smile and laugh at it. It cannot bring you down. You stand behind these guys and say, go get them. Sick them. That's what you do. And you have a calm in your soul as a result of it, a song in your soul, a little jig in your step. I can't dance very well, so don't judge that. (laughs) The secret of handling splinters. So when the splinter comes, I want to teach you the basic field manual for the soldier, how he's going to deal with the splinter. The field, so here's the field guide to dismantling the irritation bomb, disabling the perpetrator, and plundering and preserving the precious pearl starting splinter in the process. So you have multiple factors here. You have a satanic dimension. You have a satanic messenger that is coming that wants to stick a splinter in your soft spot inside your inner life. Now, usually that splinter is being brought by a human carrier. You ever notice that? Not all. There are certain forms of suffering, like sickness, that isn't necessarily brought on unless someone sneezed in your face type of a thing, but that isn't necessarily brought on by a human carrier it's brought on in a different way. And as a result, it might look a little different in how you appropriate it, but oftentimes there is a satanic dimension, there is a human dimension, which is where a lot of us stumble. How we handle that one person that's bringing it, bringing the splinter personally to you is very, very important. And then there's a third dimension. This is the part I want you to focus on. You have the actual pearl-starting seed. It's in there, and it's not demonic in and of itself. It is heavenly. It has heavenly purpose, just like the cross. The cross is the enemy's tool, but it's also God's seedbed for the great pearl of, the pearl of great price. In other words, that's what he used. Don't look at the cross as the bad thing. Satan, sin, death, 
the flesh. That's what is judged at the cross. That's the bad thing. So when you separate out these two, you begin to look at the cross and say, all right, I see the enemy and that which tried to come against him. There's a satanic dimension to the cross. There's a human bunch of idiots surrounding the cross, mocking, criticizing. And yet there's Jesus and his response to that great splinter that he hangs upon. And how he responds is perfect. So here's the field guide. Don't ever fear the irritants. Don't fear. Hey, guys, I know the splinters are coming. I know the crosses are coming. I recognize that. But you have the special forces. So don't ever fear the irritants. You have the Naker special forces team, so use it. In the first moments, you see the tactical irritation attack against your soul. And I, I mean the first moments. Have you ever noticed that if you take too long to turn to God in a situation, you're long gone in your behavior? Cranky conservatism all over the place. Splattered all over the room. So in the first moments, you see the tactical irritation attack against your soul. Unleash your secret weapon. Turn to Captain Lewis, a.k.a. Love, and let him lead the team of commandos. Within the first seconds of the attack, let Captain Lou utilize your tongue in order to announce to the intruder and to all that wish to listen. My desires, comforts, and tastes are not of primary concern in this life. I, though I may like things orderly, clean, smelling nice, my desires are not what rule this home, my life, this body, my marriage. Rather, God's glory is of paramount importance here. So I am willing to die to my taste buds, to my way of doing things, to the things that I would prefer. I don't like screaming kids. I like them to be calm and orderly and respectful at all times. And though that is a good standard, if they happen, and I'm not saying it's ever happened in the Ludi home, if they ever happen to behave in such a way which is disorderly and against the grain of what Papa Ludi has prescribed, my response still must be in perfect stride with the Spirit of God. There is never a justification for crankiness to come out of this man. I must call on Captain Lou. Say, Captain Lou, I need you and I need you now. Four, then immediately mobilize under the direct command of Captain Lou. So this is who you're going to mobilize. You have three different crews. You have the dismantled crew that needs to defuse the bomb. You have the attitude dude. He's going to take care of the human dimension of this. And you have the splinter rescue squad. They're going to take this precious gem, this cargo that we've dismantled and taken. Like It's one of those uh, types, of, types of movements where you need to take out the enemy, not harm the human, and catch the splinter. You got it? I got it. And then you secure it into your life so that it becomes useful. The dismantled crew. This is a team specially designed to undermine and diffuse the work of Satan in the irritation process. Separating the splinter from the one attempting to wield the splinter and in the process disarming the potential bomb and procuring a priceless pearl starter at the same time. So the devil is coming and trying to deliver a blow. He's bringing a splinter. And his agenda is to disturb you and to cause you to complain, to grumble, to argue, ultimately to not be forgiving and be bitter and resentful. You know how it works. It's the old game. However, when he comes, you call on the dismantle crew. Let me introduce you. Featuring the special spiritual skills of Smithy, Mr. Muscle. Now, I know that's the ninth fruit of the Spirit. However, he's on both ends because self-control is known as a quality that both 
keeps out and protects. Self-control knows how to kick out that which is of the devil, and it knows how to keep out the devil when he tries to come against the soul. Both and. So it's an aggressive, uh, operate, offensive maneuver, and it's a defensive position. That's the quality that Smithy brings. So Mr. Muscle needs to be called on. So not only does he knock the enemy in the teeth, but then he comes and he joins a special crew to preserve the splinter. And then we have Jonesy, Mr. Laugh. If you're not laughing, if you're not cheerful when this thing comes, uh, you're in danger. You have to have Jonesy along. Jonesy's going to crack the right joke, set the right tone, so that you remember, oh, I'm supposed to be singing right now. I'm supposed to be leaping for joy. Thank you, Jonesy. Peters, Mr. Calm, there is never a time to be ruffled. I don't care if the world is crumbling into the sea, the stock market is plummeting. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what the messenger says. You have Peters with you. And Peters is like, who's on the throne? Jesus. Did that change? No. See, entire empires, nations, all the rulers of the earth could conspire against him. What are you going to do? I'm going to laugh. I'm going to hold them in derision. Thanks, Peters. Pete, Peters is going to lead us to peace, always, to remember the reality of the world in which we live and who is in control of it. Papaduka. Oh, yeah. Mr. Tough. Patience. He literally stands as a rock. He will not move from his position. It doesn't matter if the enemy has a long fight to him. Because you ever notice some enemies don't go down quick? And he keeps mocking you. He keeps yelling at you. He's throwing out all the dirt. It's long. It's, it's arduous. What does Papaduka do? He doesn't move. Hit him with as many bullets. He keeps standing there. All the arrows in him, he just pulls him right back out. He's like, is that all you got? I'm Pappy. See, that's patience. Now we call in the attitude, dude. Not every situation is a human dimension. Okay, has the human dimension. But when it does, you need Kruger. The one-man operation under the direct superintendence of Captain Lou, this specially trained commando is able to dexterously handle the human influence behind the attack of irritation, featuring the special spiritual skills of Kruger, Mr. Missionary, kindness. Even when you're being attacked, remember Betsy Tenboom? She's being kicked by the Nazi guards. And what is she doing? She's not thinking about herself. She's not thinking about her ribs that are breaking. She's thinking about the dying soul of the one kicking. You have to have Kruger in every attack. Kruger is always thinking about the best for that person. I don't care if they hate you. I don't care if they're spitting on you. I don't care what they've done. You need to call on Kruger. You don't have Kruger in your own pockets. You need it from heaven. It's nacre. And it's been given to you through the shed blood of Jesus. And you have it available to you in these moments. Now we have the splinter rescue squad. The dismantled team has dislodged it. Now we have a splinter that's like floating through the air. Can't you see it slow motion how this team works together? You know, just perfect uh, movements. And so there's the enemy. He's like, you know, flying backwards. And then you have the attitude dude that comes right straight through and leans down and washes the feet. And the, the guy at the human dimension is like, what? What's going on here? And then you have this splinter that's flying through the And then you call him the splinter rescue squad. And you can just see him. They're all watching it. A team specially designed to handle the delicate and precious splinter and ensure that it is not lost or harmed in the midst of the fighting. This team knows the power and inerrant value in a splinter and knows how to work in full concert with the pearl farmer. Featuring the special spiritual skills of Getz, Mr. Integrity. He's going to handle this situation right. No, no, uh, nothing from the devil's side is going to make it into how we handle this splinter. We're going to forgive instantly. We're going to respond to this properly. We're going to keep this area clean like it's a surgeon's table. We are not going to allow any infection in. 
Fitzberger, Mr. Splinter, Faith, he's the one telling us this is going to turn into a pearl. I know it looks like a splinter right now. This is the seedbed for the greatest pearls. Yeah! That's faith. In every situation, we know that what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn to good. Jans, Mr. Surgeon, he's gentleness. He knows how to handle this in such a way where everything around him is bewildered by how gentle this soul is with how it handles the attacks against it. Everything that emits out of this life is gentleness, even though it's being hit in the face. And Smithy, Mr. Muscle, you try and come in and harm that splinter, you cannot touch it. He's Smithy. He's self-control. He knows how to guard this body from the infections of the enemy. Oh, to reveal Jesus with our lives. What we desire, and even when I bring this up, I know maybe some of you have an acute struggle with irritation and frustration. For those of you, and some of you may have just a nominal struggle. It's just like, yeah, I probably need to get on that. Well, for those of us with an acute struggle, this type of message could be very painful. And yet, I want it to be hope-filled. I want you to recognize that everything you need to handle every irritant you could ever face in life, from this point forward all the way into the future, is available to you at the cross of Jesus Christ. You have it in Christ. Oh, to reveal Jesus with our lives. Some of you are sick and tired of being a cranky conservative. You're tired of being right in every regard but with your life. I don't blame you. There's probably nothing more frustrating to a serious soul following after Jesus than that key discrepancy. But everything has been made available to us to see it changed. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Every splinter, every movement of the enemy against our soul, every human accusation, every human mockery, all of these things... All those low bank accounts to health challenges, every single thing that could possibly be wielded against our life. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called, who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. What did he predesign? What was his end game for everyone that he would know? It's that we would be conformed into the pearl. We would become pearl-like. We would be conformed into the image of his dear son. How how, how are you going to do that? Have you ever tried to make yourself like Christ? Nacre does it. Well, how does Nacre do it? By believing, by having faith that all things work together for good, including these splinters. You see, when you have grace, Nacre, and you have faith, that trust that God knows best And then in each situation, as you embrace it properly, you don't accept what the enemy has to bring. You don't allow infection into this soul. You don't start thinking like the devil. You don't allow what the the human dimension, the rabble around you is criticizing, attempting to redefine your worldview. You don't allow any of that in. But you have everything you need to handle that splinter, that cross, and see it turn into a pearl. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this two-part message by Pastor Eric Ludi pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. 
For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.